All right. Our gospel lesson this morning comes from Matthew chapter 5, verses 38 through 48, which can be found on page 786 in your pew Bibles or 1507 in the large print. Coming from the middle of Jesus' most famous sermon. Before we read, let us pray. Heavenly Father, we do thank you again for this day that you have made. We thank you for all that you have given to us, the ways that you continue to be at work in our lives, the ways that we continue to see you show up in ways that we don't expect, or even when we least expect you. God, we pray that this season, and even this morning, that you would quiet and still our hearts, that we would not only notice you, or that you would be our focus. Above all else, for you alone are worthy of our worship and our praise because of what you have already done, as well as what you are continuing to do and what you have promised to do in the future. Lord, as we focus on what you are doing and will do in, in the world and in our own lives, we ask that you would change us ever more today to the people you created us to be by your word and your spirit. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Matthew chapter 5, verses 38 through 48. Jesus says, you, says, you have heard that it was said... Eye for eye and tooth for tooth. But I tell you, do not resist an evil person. If anyone slaps you on the right cheek, turn to them the other cheek also. And if anyone wants to sue you and take your shirt, hand over your coat as well. If anyone forces you to go one mile, go with them two miles. Give to the one who asks you and do not turn away from the one who wants to borrow from you. You have heard that it was said, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you, that you may be children of your Father in heaven. He causes his Son to rise on the evil and the good and sends rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. If you love those who love you, what reward will you get? Are not even the tax collectors doing that? And if you greet only your own people, what are you doing more than others? Do not even pagans do that? Be perfect, therefore, as your heavenly Father is perfect. Turning then to Colossians chapter 3, verses 1 through 17. We found on page 955 in your pew Bibles, or 1831 in the large print. Colossians, Colossians chapter 3, verses 1 through 17. Keeping in mind the very first verse of this, uh, this section and what all flows from that. It says, Since then, you have been raised with Christ. Set your hearts on things above, where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things above, not on earthly things. For you died, and your life is now hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. Put to death, therefore, Whatever belongs to your earthly nature, sexual immorality, impurity, lust, evil desires, and greed, 
which is idolatry. Because of these, the wrath of God is coming. You used to walk in these ways in the life you once lived, but now you must also rid yourselves of all such things as these, anger, rage, malice, slander, and filthy language from your lips. Do not lie to each other, since you have taken off your old self with its practices and have put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge and the image of its creator. Here there is no Gentile or Jew, circumcised or uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave or free, but Christ is all and is in all. Therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, clothe yourselves with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Bear with each other and forgive one another if any of you has a grievance against someone. Forgive as the Lord forgave you. And over all these virtues put on love, which binds them all together in perfect unity. Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, since as members of one body you were called to peace. And be thankful. Let the message of Christ dwell among you richly as you teach and admonish one another with all wisdom, through psalms, hymns, and songs from the Spirit, singing to God with gratitude in your hearts. And whatever you do, whether in word or deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus giving thanks to God the Father through him. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Last Sunday, we read a passage from Isaiah that was prophesying Jesus coming, and it described him saying he would be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Last Sunday, we were actually talking about hope. This week, though, we are talking about peace. But as we read that last week, that Jesus would be called Prince of Peace, and we're in this season where we are looking forward to, his, uh, to celebrating his birth, as well as his coming again, we say, okay, Jesus came, and he's the Prince of Peace. And so we walk out of here last week, yay, Jesus, the Prince of Peace, who has come into this world to put everything right, and then we go and we watch the news, or we argue with our neighbor, or, and we say, wait a second, what happened to all this peace there's supposed to be? Peace is not what I'm experiencing here. Peace is not what I see around me as I watch the news, whether locally or nationally or internationally. We see instead is actually kind of the opposite of that. Right? And we see hostility and conflict everywhere we look. And yet Jesus is to be the Prince of Peace. What's going on here? Well, there are a couple things. But as we look at peace today, the first thing I want to say is we have, we talked about words last week too, and the empty words that we see all around us. I want to say there are a lot of biblical words that have gotten misunderstood uh, but are still used all the time. So let me just say a few things. One, love is not the same thing as tolerance. Justice is not the same thing as revenge. Righteousness is not the same thing as arrogance or self-righteousness. And peace is not the same thing as just an absence of violence. Peace is the one we're going to be focusing on today. If you have questions, more follow-up on the others, come talk to me. I'd 
love to show you what we mean there. But looking then at Micah, the prophet Micah, hundreds of years before Jesus was born. Micah chapter 4. He writes, In the last days, the mountain of the Lord's temple will be established as the highest of the mountains. It will be exalted above the hills, and peoples will stream to it. Many nations will come and say, Come, let us go up to the mountain of the Lord, to the temple of the God of Jacob. He will teach us his ways so that we may walk in his paths. The law will go out from Zion, the word of the Lord from Jerusalem. He will judge between many peoples and will settle disputes for strong nations far and wide. They will beat their swords into plowshares and their spears into pruning hooks. Nation will not take up sword against nation, nor will they train for war anymore. Everyone will sit under their own vine and under their own fig tree, and no one will make them afraid, for the Lord Almighty has spoken. All the nations may walk in the name of their gods, but we will walk in the name of the Lord our God forever and ever. Now, as we found last week with the passage from Isaiah we read, this very positive promise actually comes right on the heels of a warning of judgment on the people for what, is, for what all is going wrong and a description of how bad things are. But then it says it's not always going to be this way. And so as we experience the hostility. We know it's not always going to be this way. So what is it going to be like? What is it going to be like when Jesus comes back? Because again, like I say, in Advent we are preparing ourselves. We're not just preparing ourselves to celebrate uh, Jesus coming to the world the first time. We're also preparing ourselves to greet him when he comes again. So what is it going to be like when he comes again? By the way, I don't know very many people who would get onto an airplane, who'd get onto a train heading somewhere, and who would just be on there and be traveling for some time and never stop to say, by the way, where are we going? You would not do that. If you get onto an airplane, if you get onto a train, you want to know, probably even before you get on, where it's going. And yet in life, you just sort of find yourself one day, you're on this train, and you're like, wait a second, I'm alive and I'm going somewhere. Nah, I'm sure I'll figure it out later. And so many times we don't even stop to think, where is this all going? Where are we all headed? And Advent is a time to say, here's where we're all, where's we're all going. Here's where it's all headed. That one day Jesus will come back again. And when he does, he's going to come back and he will put everything right. He will put everything right. Everything will be under his lordship. And here's the way that this is described. It says that uh, the mountain of the Lord's temple will be established as the highest of the mountains. And that can be kind of a confusing phrase. You say, well, big deal. Why does, why does it matter that the mountain of the Lord's temple is a high mountain? Okay. But mountains and hills back then were all seen as, they were described as high places. Because they were seen as the places where, uh, that's where you could get close to God. The higher up you go, the closer you get to God, was sort of the thinking. And so, on, as you looked around, this is why... Um, in Psalms, where it says, you know, I lift, look, what is that? I lift my eyes to the hills. Where does my help come from? 
My help comes from the maker of heaven and earth. And it's because as you look around to all the various hills, at the tops of each one of them, you have these different uh, centers for worshiping various gods and goddesses and idols, etc. And so as they say, I look up all these hills, where does my help come from? It's not from that one, it's not from that one, it's not from that one. And the only one that my help really comes from is the one true and living God, the creator of heaven and earth. And it says, so that's what this metaphor, that's what this image is all about. The big mountain thing is not just because it needs to be a big mountain, but it's a way of describing that there's going to be a time when it's recognized everywhere that God is the one true God. And everything else that people are worshiping will pale in comparison when it's finally seen what, uh, who he really is and what everything else is by comparison. And so it says at that time, then you have these many nations who will come and say, come, let us go up to the mountain of the Lord. In other words, not just, not just the people of Israel anymore, but it's going to be for everybody, that everybody is going to be coming from every kind of nation. They're going to be coming to learn from God. And what is it they're learning from God? Said we want he will teach us his ways so that we may walk in his paths. Do you understand what this is saying? It's not saying he will teach us his ways so we know what we have to do so he won't be mad at us. That's not what it's saying. It's saying he will teach us his ways because we know that he knows what is best. And we want to do what is best. We want to do what is right. We want to do what leads to life. And we know that he is the one who can give that. And we want to learn from him. We've been trying it on our own. We've been trying to follow everybody else's advice. And it's all left us shipwrecked. We want to learn from God. We want to do it his way. So we can walk in his paths. This is the law will go out from Zion. The word of the Lord from Jerusalem. And then it goes into this description of peace. Of peace that is an absence of fighting. But there's so much more. Since he will judge between many peoples and will settle disputes for nations, strong nations far and wide. They will beat their swords into plowshares and their spears into pruning hooks. What is that about? We don't really use the swords and spears so much anymore, so here's the way I'd like to think about that. If you were to say they were to melt down their tanks and turn them into tractors, right? That's what this is about. These tools that were used only for attack and defense will be so unnecessary. People will say, why do we even have these anymore? Let's turn these into something useful and productive. Let's turn these into something that can actually tend the, tend the ground, that we can have um, something produced from it that would be good. And how does that happen? How do you get to the point where not only is there not a use for the tanks and the swords now, it says they won't even train for war anymore. Right now, we don't live in a world that looks like this. We live in a world right now where if we are not in war actively, we would still be foolish to not be preparing for war because we know it's coming. And so even when we're not actively engaged in battle, the military is still recruiting, we're still training, and we're still preparing because we know it's coming, Right? That's the world we live in. But it says that's going to end when Jesus comes back. And and they won't even need to train for war anymore. There will be no more training for it. There will be no more need for the weapons for it. 
says, Everyone will sit under their own vine, under their own fig tree, and no one will make them afraid, for the Lord Almighty has spoken. This is a weird image, isn't it? Everyone will sit under their own vine, under their own fig tree. You're like, I think I could come up with a better way to describe what it's like to not be at war. Sitting under a vine and a fig tree. This actually goes back, though, to something uh, that was described earlier when Solomon was the king. And the way that it described that the kingdom was at peace was it said that everyone sat under their own vine and their own fig tree. Why is that a symbol of peace? Well, first of all, because they're home. They're not out fighting battles. If your country is constantly being attacked and you're constantly having to defend that or you're out waging war against other countries, you're probably not home very much. But here they are, they're at home. They're at their own place. Everybody will sit under their own vine. They're not going to be sitting under trying to get shade somewhere else out to battle. But they're at home. And not only are they home, but it's not like the land has been completely destroyed through battle. Everybody's come in and you fought them off and now you finally succeeded. The war is over, but now it's time to rebuild. No. The rebuilding has already done. The battle is over, the rebuilding is accomplished, and now there is a time of rest at home. Enjoying the, enjoying the land, enjoying where you are, and being able to rest. And it says, and no one will make them afraid, for the Lord Almighty has spoken. We've talked before about how, if you remember, um, the Cold War, and how even though the reason they called it the Cold War is because we were not actively fighting with the Soviets, and yet it would not appropriately be described as peace. Right? That was not a peaceful time because everyone was at this constant level of stress because you knew that at any moment, even though we're not fighting actively right now, at any moment we could all be gone. And there was that threat of the button, right? And somebody could push the button and that's it. It was not a time of peace, even though there was no fighting. But there was always the threat. There was always the threat. There's always something to be afraid of. And I don't know about you, but it sure seems to me there's an awful lot in the world right now that people are afraid of. If you're not afraid of war, you're afraid of losing your job. If you're not afraid of losing your job, you're afraid of Ebola. If you're not afraid of Ebola, there are plenty of other diseases to choose from. If you're not afraid of diseases, you're afraid you're afraid of burglars. You're afraid people in my house that occasionally are afraid of monsters. There's all sorts of things to be afraid of that cause this stress and this fear and this worry and absence of peace. Even if there's no fighting going on. But it says in that time, no one will make them afraid. This sitting under the vine and under the fig tree, it's not just that they're hanging out waiting for the next battle to go, to be called up again. No, they're not sitting there on high alert. Somebody's coming though. I mean, I know I, I can rest for a little bit now, but they're coming, they're coming, I know they're coming. No, this is, it's, it's over. Everything has finally been put right. And there's nothing else that's going to threaten that. And so there is finally rest and peace. And how has this happened? It's for the Lord Almighty 
has spoken. And you know, when God speaks, things happen. And God said, let there be light. And there was light, right? So God has spoken. And that's the way that it all happens. Not that we make it happen, but that he makes it happen. And then verse 5. All the nations may walk in the name of their gods, but we will walk in the name of the Lord our God forever and ever. There is a distinction. There's a distinction in time here. Where it says, they may walk in the name of their gods. But that will only last for a while. But when Jesus comes back, when Jesus comes back and this mountain of the Lord is, is established above all the mountains, exalted above the hills, there will be that time where every knee will bow, every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord, the glory of God the Father. There will be a time where nobody else will be worshipped anymore but only the one true God through Jesus Christ. And it says that will go on then forever and ever. This is a peace that lasts. It's not just a temporary peace. It's not just a momentary thing, but it's one that goes on forever and ever. It's kind of a hard thing to wrap our minds around because it's so foreign to our everyday experience. So now here's the question. What does this mean for us? If that is what is coming someday, but right now what we experience is almost the opposite of that on a daily basis. Do we just say, well, someday it'll be good, but it stinks for now. Kind of, yeah. Kind of. So what Jesus said to his disciples when he said, uh, in this world, you will have trouble. But take heart. I have overcome the world. But it's not just that things stink now, but one day will be great. But he also, thanks to the resurrection of Jesus, says you can experience the beginning of that now. One day we'll experience it in all its fullness. But we can experience the beginning of that even now. You know that uh, Jesus, er, sorry, Paul tells us that there's the fruit of, of the Spirit. Love, joy, peace. Patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. That peace is part of what grows within the hearts of believers. This is what Jesus said to his disciples when he promised to send the Spirit. He said, Peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. I do not give to you as the world gives. Do not let your hearts be troubled and do not be afraid. Because we have the beginning of that new creation already starting within us. Peace is not just the absence of conflict. But peace is when everything is put right again. If we think about it, I like, you know I like to do this. Where you take, the, take the word itself and see if you can define it using the letters. This is not my best one, but I think it's still helpful. P-E-A-C-E, putting everything as the creator engineered. It's a little awkward, I know, but I think it's helpful. 
putting everything as the creator engineered. Think about this. You go all the way back to Genesis. Genesis 1. And God creates everything in six days. And it says, you know, he said, let there be this and there's that. And he says, let there be this and there's that. And he goes all the way through and day six and he steps back and he looks at it all and he says, that is very good. It's all very good and everything is working as it's supposed to work until one day some people said, I know God says it's supposed to go this way, but I think in this particular instance I know better. And everything broke. Everything broke. And because it all broke... We have had broken relationships with each other ever since. We've had broken relationships with the creation ever since. And we've had broken relationship with God ever since. But this is what Jesus came to put all right again. First, that we would be right with our creator. Because if we're not right with him, nothing else works. That's what we found out in the beginning. But when everything is put right with him, when he is actually over it all, and we say, yes, I want to live your way, not my way, everything will work again. It says we can begin to know that life now through Jesus. And we can begin to know that what it says is the peace that passes understanding. The peace that passes understanding. It doesn't even make sense how we can be experiencing that sort of peace in the midst of turmoil. And yet, that's what we have as a beginning now. When, when we do as uh, Proverbs 3 says, trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lay not on your own understanding. In all your ways, submit to him, and he will make your paths straight. This is what that last verse is about. When it says, we'll walk in the name of the Lord our God, that doesn't just mean that we put a bumper sticker on our car or that we have a, you know, a sweatshirt or a ball cap like we would for a football team. Well, we're in, we have that, the name of that team. We're walking in the name of that. We're cheering for Jesus. Go, Jesus. And to walk in the name of the Lord our God, to walk in the name of Jesus, means that we are walking, depending, and trusting in his power in our lives to do the things that he's created us to do. It says, when we do that, when we submit to God in everything, trusting him above ourselves, that's when we find peace. And not a moment before. And even in the midst of the conflict and the hostilities and the worries and the fears and the distresses of this life, where we will have trouble, we can take heart knowing that Jesus has overcome the world and that when he comes again, everything will be put as a creator engineered. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.